0: With the depth of command and control and traditional management system style, basically the the whole structure of management, the way it's been in the past, now, now becoming increasingly too expensive, there's a real push for higher levels of collaboration and cooperation, right not just within a company, but outside of the boundaries of the company. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I work in the field of transformation, both in terms of mindset, decision-making, and leadership. With me today is Kat Scali, who is the digital innovator and the founder of Startup Beep, which we're going to talk about. Can I wait for that? Katz is the award-winning digital pioneer designer of tech that helps people be more than the sum of their parts. So Katz, let's chat about whatever we feel like. (laughs) Good to be here. Really, thank you for the invite. When I look at humanity today, and particularly in traditionally managed companies, I see leaders are not leading, but they're functioning in a pretty you know, autopilot, hypnotic state. What do you see, and why is it important to snap out of that that state to do things differently?
1: I think that we're in this really bizarre situation where big companies are spending huge amounts of money on trying to become more efficient, more productive. More and more tech, more and more money, more and more reorgs, re- ways of working. And yet we're in a situation where productivity levels are lower than they've ever been before. Efficiency is lower than it's ever been before. And then you look at the engagement piece, which is lower than it's ever been before. 67% of the worldwide workforce, according to Gallup, are disengaged with their jobs. 13 percent of the worldwide workforce is actually highly engaged with their jobs which is terrible for people apart from anything else you anyone who thinks that doing something all day that you don't care about 10 hours of every day of your life knowing how important purpose is for people if they think they're going to get the best out of people by carrying on the way we are now then um like you say, it's almost like we're in some sort of trance state where you can actually, you just have to look at the data to figure out that the most important and the most expensive part of all of our companies are not engaged, they're not productive, they're not efficient, they're not fully in. And until we figure out how we can, how to actually engage and light up and uh, enable those people to be the best they can be. We're never going to be able to drive efficiency and productivity. Do you know what robots are going to be doing with that? And I think the, the more that people hear this story about, you know, robots and uh, rampaging robots and AI taking our jobs, the more resistant, the more stressed, the less engaged, the less productive people will
0: be. Yeah, that makes a, it. There's a lot of logic to that, that for some odd reason, is completely overlooked, which I find fascinating. When I listen to people talk, particularly, you know, executives or, or listen to those that are tied deeply into the traditional management system, it, there's an inclination to delegate the solution of problems like disengagement, to blame people, say it's your fault that you're disengaged, it's, it's all you, you did it to yourself, or to say, well, that's not my problem, um, this is government, they should fix it, because they're... I don't know, whatever the list of excuses might be. What, what's your take on that kind of um, approach to solving these big problems? My honest approach,
1: I mean, I've worked with governments, with governmental agencies, and inside the UN at a fairly senior level. Um, I think that there is some sort of bizarre, and again, it's like you say, it's almost like a trance, like robotic trust, from people thinking that there is some big plan and that they will solve it. And it's like, actually, no, they won't solve it because there is no big plan. And if you've worked on the inside of the public sector or indeed large organizations, it's very fragmented. People are making stuff up as we go along. We're just people. We're irrational, wonderful people. And whether you're a CEO or whether you're at the head of the UN, we're just people. And for me, the fact that we're, you know, we're in the most exciting moment, or it should be the most exciting moment for mankind, where we've got access to affordable data, we understand how the human brain works, we're more connected than we've ever been before. We've got all of the pieces of a jigsaw to be able to figure out how we can start to, develop frameworks and systems that actually work the way that people work as opposed to the frameworks and systems that were designed for a time where they may have made sense or who am I to say but you know I mean most of the way that our especially our companies operate they were made for the industrial age for a time when people were there as human resource to keep machines running and that's not where we are anymore actually where we are now is most people most people are educated most companies are desperate to be innovative they're desperate to figure out how they can recruit the best talent how they can keep the best talent how they can get the best out of people yeah so I think what we're doing is we're using operating models which they like I say may have worked but now they make no sense anymore and for us to If you look at organisational frameworks and the way that organisations are set up, if you look at them through a a behavioural economics, psychology, social physics perspective, there are two key states um, that the human has. The first state is the threat state, by which I mean when we were back in the savannah, if we got attacked by a large growly beastie, we would have to run away from that to survive. Um, So in the threat state, you're stressed, you can't make good decisions, you can't collaborate, you're not innovative, you can't think properly, you just wanna run away and hide. And then you've got the reward state, which we human beings evolved so that we could keep communities together. And that was our biggest benefit. Neanderthals were very solitary, humans were very social. In the reward state, we are Collaborative and innovative and communicative and creative. And we can think straight. We make good decisions. We make less mistakes. Our immune systems work well. So the reward state is the best we can be. So the way that most companies operate is that all of the change that's thrown at people comes from the top. It comes from secrets. It's uh, people are not connected with each other. People are not allowed to be themselves. They usually disincentivized from connecting or sharing. The way that companies are set up are fundamentally wrong for the way that people are. And what I mean by that is that um, to get the best out of people, the conditions that bring the best out in people are empathy, knowing that you're respected, are trust. Are being connected. And what we're doing with the company, what, what traditional companies are doing, is setting up frameworks and systems which are going to get exactly the worst out of people. And the faster things change, and the more they bring in consultants who give them smart answers for reorgs or new technologies or ba 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 ba, the experts then present these ta moments. Every time that happens, And when you're working, without wanting to name names, I've worked with large pharmaceutical companies as an example, global pharmaceutical companies. They might have six digital transformation projects going on and then six streams within each one. And as soon as one finishes, another one starts. And people don't know whether they're coming or going all of the time. And that means that what we're doing is constantly making people more stressed, more resistant to every change that we try and throw at them. It's yeah, if you look at things, like I say, from uh I'm kind of obsessed with behavioral sciences and really trying to understand how the human brain works and how we really make decisions, trying to really understand our biases. And if you look through the lens of behavioral science, the way that our companies work and indeed the way that our governments work is entirely bonkers.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of John Medina's brain rules, which, when you actually see how they're, if you apply them to an education system, they break every single rule. So, so there's a, I think there's overall when we look at the infrastructures that we're working with now and that are being pushed to transform, they're under pressure to transform. You know, this is where we have to admit that humans are complex. And they're not this simple little widget that if you pull this part out and you stick something else in, it's going to change <laughs> the function of it. I mean, that works well if you're fixing a car, but not so much if you're actually working with, with all that it is to be human.
1: Yeah, and, and um, the reason I set up my company is because I went to Burning Man. So I was invited to go to Burning Man by the founders, um, which was a real honor. And for various reasons, I said, yes, I had no... no Understanding of what I'd be letting myself in for. But Burning Man is the most interesting experiment, social experiment, I think, that there is anywhere in the world. And the thing that I really took away with me was you're in the middle of the most inhospitable place in the world. It's horribly hot, and then it's horribly cold, and then there are dust storms, and it's just unpleasant. But there, in the middle of the desert, people do the most incredible things. They make things happen because they want to. And when you see how beautiful and how productive and how efficient we humans can be when we want to, and then you step back and you look at the way that people are, especially inside large organizations, and then back to that 67% of people, it makes no sense. Yeah, and I I was with a very uh, well-known global leader at Burning Man and I remember looking at him and I've worked within some of his companies um, and I looked at him and said, can you imagine what would happen if you could unleash the potential of every single person who works for you? That would be the biggest competitive advantage that any company has ever had.
0: Very, very, very true. And I think that's the, the goal and the aim is to, is to you know, remove those barriers, the mental barriers, the emotional barriers, the fear being the big one, or at least use fear to, to better advantage. We just, you know, it's funny, we just had this conversation this morning on a, on a Thrive 5 hangout that's sponsored by Cocoon Projects in collaboration with Tricordant, which are, it's a UK firm. Uh, so we were we were just the, the, those of us that showed up this morning were having a conversation about exactly exactly this. What does it take to build inside an you know an empathic organization to move from tell, sell, yell to opening a space for people to actually do what's natural to them as opposed to hiring the talent and then telling them how to give their you know how to controlling their talent, which is is uh, quite quite actually silly when you when you look at it from a distance, it becomes. A little it
1: different. is. Yeah. It's, it's almost um, like we're still operating somewhere around slavery where people are just there to do what they're told. Yeah. There is a woman who runs Grant Thornton. Who, she's the CEO of Grant Thornton in, in England. She's the first woman to be a CEO of one of those big accountancy firms. She's extraordinary. Um, she's a brave leader. She was talking the other night about the fact that To be a leader who is brave enough to listen to their team and is brave enough to stand up in front of people who really want to be given an answer because that's what they're used to. The uncomfortableness of doing things in a different way is very brave. Uh She was talking about one experience where she was told she had to right-size and she said, I'm not doing it like that. And what she did was pull all of her teams together before she became CEO. And she said, look, we're accountants. Uh, We're in the midst of a recession. This is where our costs are. And this is how much we need to cut them. What should we do? Brilliant. And funnily enough, there were no litigation costs. People came up with innovative solutions. But she was saying how hard it is to be brave enough as a leader to say, I don't know, I haven't got all the answers. I well, trust in you guys to be able to help me to find the answers.
0: But that's true leadership, as opposed to the kind of leadership that thinks they already have the answers and they just need to go and deliver on it. So to me, that's a much more authentic version of leadership because it, it just says, say, hey, you've got talent, you've got ideas, let's let's work with that and and solve this uh, this conundrum.
1: It's, it's odd, isn't it? I find myself so often when you're in a company and people, and they'll be moaning about their staff. they're this, they're lazy, they're not creative, they're this, that, the other. And I'm like, you hired them. Were they like this when they came here? Yeah. Is there something about your culture which is
0: not getting the best out of them? Well, and, and to me, the next question is, what's the status of your stress-related illness? Because if you've got any kind of depression in the workplace, you've created it. You've created it by not giving that space for people to contribute. That's that's how depression gets formed. It's one of the one of the vehicles. So And there has to be
1: a relationship between whether it's depression, whether you could class it as depression. But as I say, purpose is the most important thing for human well-being. So if you're working within an organization and you're actually not really very sure what you're doing and how it contributes to the whole, that's terrible, whether that's classed as depression or not. For me, going into work and doing something I really don't care about on a daily basis,
0: that's a pretty bad state. Yeah, yeah. And it is emotionally uh, uh, disheartening, to say the least. I was on a panel
1: the other day um, and I was talking about this and saying, you know, at the end of the day, there are ways whereby you can create the conditions where people can be the best they can be and they will be engaged with work. And the woman next to me said, Oh, yeah, it's all kind of utopian, isn't it? But so, you know, ha- people don't expect to be happy at work. Some people want to go into work and then go home and do their life. And I'm like, some people want to spend 10 <laughs> hours doing something that they don't enjoy. Really? Yeah. A choice. Why
0: would you sign up for that?
1: And then the other thing that surprises me is when I'm, you know, talking to people about the disengagement levels, people go, it can't be 67%. And then they go, Actually, I'm surprised it's not higher. I don't know anyone who's happy at work, yeah. and that is, as you were saying earlier, that's somewhere akin to being in a
0: trance. Yeah, and I think also what you're getting to is the difference between happiness and engagement. Because you know, when you're when you go into a workplace and you feel happy, you can be engaged. You you what? know, it, it I, there's you, I don't think it's like the two are not all super tangled but they're certain they're certainly related so and what we also touched on a bit is is the source of addictions because i notice that i mean when i go into organizations doing my work it's not hard to see the organizational dynamic the patterns play out very clearly and when you watch those patterns you'll see patterns of addiction which mirror human patterns of addiction so where are we addicted to being perfect where are we addicted to being you know to to having absolute Perfection, in the sense of no mistakes are allowed, so we 're going to punish the very source of innovation that that uh, that we 're asking for you know so there's there 's a lot of patterns there that are stuck in place. What is from your point of view, why is it that companies have this problem with so to, where do they go wrong with innovation I
1: think there has been this kind of meme across companies because we follow each other because we 're human and we 're herd creatures, and therefore, if somebody else does something, we 'll do the same thing that you need to have an innovation unit. And the innovation unit will be allowed to dress differently and to behave differently. And it will have its own little place, which has probably got beanbags and slides and maybe a table tennis, because that's what startups do. Wow. And, well, you know, you know, the innovation unit, every company's had one. Something like 87% of large companies now have an innovation unit. At the same time, the innovation that's coming from within large companies is pretty limited, I would say. And if you look at, again, if you look at that through the lens of behavioral sciences, we're tribal. Therefore, if we are used to a particular behavioral norm, and that's the way our herd is behaving, and that's what a culture in a company is, suddenly you get this new thing that happens, and they're behaving in a different way, and therefore, we humans see that thing as being the other. You know, neurochemicals bond us to the people who are like us. And they, they also make us not want, make us resist people who are not like us. The cognitive biases, you know, which I'm sure you know about. Mm-hmm. So when you're setting up an organization within an organization, which is a totally different thing, you're setting it up for failure. Because it means the rest of the organization are looking at this thing going, hmm, that feels wrong. It's the other. So I think that's how they get it wrong. Whereas every single person within an organization has got an idea for how your organization could be better. Or they're very aware of the things that aren't working. So rather than having something which is separate and other, and which will eventually be pushed out by the corporate antibodies, If you can start to revitalize all of the uh, wonderful things that make your company your company, by which I mean people, and actually start to listen and work with their ideas, then, then you've got real innovation. And that's what 3M do. That's what Toyota did back in the day. It's not like a new thing. It's like, do you know what, guys? You've got all of the ingredients for success and continuous improvement right there inside your organization. If you look at it in the right place.
0: Now let's talk about beep. Tell, tell us what it what it is and why why what problem is it going to solve and, and how can we help? What's going on there?
1: Beep is uh, it's a problem-solving tool set. Uh, it's not an ideation toolkit, it's not a sentiment tracker, it's uh, it's all of those things. The problem with ideation platforms, and bearing in mind. I designed and delivered the first open innovation competition ever. And I keep saying that and I'm thinking at some point, somebody will stand up in a conference and say, no, you didn't. I did, you know, I did. <laughs> that hasn't happened so far, so I'm going to keep rocking that. So I've done lots of open innovation. And I think what happens with ideation platforms is that people are incentivized. The person who's running the platform is incentivized to get as many ideas as possible. And so what companies do is they get, you know, I had 147 ideas through on this competition. Great. Now, 146 of those ideas, nothing happens with. So that means there's 146 people who've been wedded to an idea that, that isn't actually used. Whereby what Beep does is it's, it actually invites people to report and collectively refine problems And when the problem is really understood and is big enough, then the the people who are most engaged with that problem are invited into systems thinking workshops to actually find solutions that they own. So it's a continuous improvement engine. I like to think of it as, you know, in the future, it will be a way of leaders being able to embed kind of organizational operating systems that work the way that people work
0: yeah excellent uh what what it's a startup i know that for for sure what stage is it in and 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 what is needed to move it forward is it do you have an mvp at this point a minimum viable product at this point uh we've got a,
1: a demo so we've got a prototype and um so a year ago i decided to give up my my well-paid job and uh, leap into this both both feet i yeah, terrifying <laughs> funnily enough though it, it's I've never been so sure about anything in my life. And people keep saying to me, aren't you terrified? And I'm like, no, because I know it. it's so needed. And so what we've got is a prototype. We've then, from a very early stage, shared it with potential clients, with psychologists, with technologists to look at feasibility. Uh, so we're just at the stage now where we can start to build Yep. So we're still in the process of looking for seed investors. We're talking to a number of anchor partners. That's what's most important to us. And I'd rather build the platform with
0: partners. It makes more sense to me. So that's where we are. Excellent. Excellent. And so how can people help? Do you have a place where people can go and be a part of it or contribute in some way?
1: Uh, yeah, you reach out to me. You can always find me. I'm at Katzi or go to LinkedIn and go look for Katz Keely. It's all under wraps at the moment. I uh, showed it to the CTO of a very large technology company recently, and she's been around the block and she's seen all the different platforms and she tried them. She really was not waiting to be impressed or not expecting to be impressed. And we got to the end of the demo and she sat back and went, Ah, that actually is a game changer, isn't it? You need to be really careful with that. Ah,
0: yeah, yeah, which is a good yeah. response. <laughs> yep, yeah, you bet, you bet. That tells you you're onto something. That's excellent. All right, Cass, yeah, right, so so idea. I'll put this in the show notes. I'll put your contact information in the co- in the show notes. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we close off? Anything you love to talk about? <laughs>
1: No, I think it's been a really, really
0: comprehensive conversation. Thank you so much. It's been really
1: nice talking.
0: Yeah, thanks for being a part of it. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to meeting up with you in London. For Me, those please. that are listening in this, that conversation will have already happened because I won't publish this until after that. But still, um, it's going to be fun to see you. Thank you. Look forward. Bye. I, I truly believe that it's going to be a combination of technology, whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality, uh, or something else, or beep, as as Katz has explained, that's going to really support the transformation of humanity into a stronger or higher level of human potential, if you will, and, and to do what can't be done psychologically through uh, swimming through a sea of bias. So I'm excited because I'm obviously working on a VR project myself slash AR project, and uh, lots of potential there, lots of exciting, fun uh, work to be done there. And I also am working on something to transform organizations uh, using a gamified approach. So it's blending all of what we know about biology, physics, and the human spirit into a playful way of transforming a business culture. So anyway, that's all great fun. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the program. And uh, I'm going to be off for, I am off actually, on a month of speaking in Europe. Speaking, I'll be speaking at the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable in London, then going to Poland and visiting with a Polish crew of filmmakers who are documenting reinvention in companies. So that's really exciting. I'm thrilled to be there and then also probably I work definitely working with cocoon projects Italy in Italy and uh that's going to be on some decision making workshops so I'm looking forward to all of that and there's a few spots in between that are a bit open so we'll see what happens but I just want to thank you very much for listening and thanks for supporting the podcast please share feedback is welcome I've had some wonderful help from people saying hey technically you haven't got this right and And so, yeah, I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, I have no music for you this time around, but I'm working on getting some more music tracks. Definitely check me me out on Twitter, E-P Donna, D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones, or on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining me.